Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 99. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And calling in all the way from, ooh, I didn't ask you, but I'm going to guess New York City. I'm walking here! <laughs> oh! <laughs> A film critic and podcaster, you may know her work from Harper's, uh, it's Violet Luca. Welcome to the show. Hello! Hey. It's so nice to pretend that I'm in sunny temporarily not on fire california <laughs> yeah, yeah do, uh, it's the white boy summer has begun we had to draw <laughs> the blackout <laughs> shades uh it's like 90 fucking degrees out we're all sweating having a good time yeah i mean hey you know you can't come down here to hell if you're afraid of fire that's what i always say <laughs> that's right that is right <laughs> <laughs> so the double feature uh, for this week. Malcolm, uh, did you have that locked and loaded? No. <laughs> no, I'm just naturally kind of charming and witty. Uh, the double feature this week, Doubt, the 2008 film by John Patrick Shanley, and The Devils, the 1971 film by Ken Russell. Now, uh, Violet, why, why is it these two films that you wanted to bring to the podcast? In preparation for an appearance on the Film Comet podcast, I was watching a lot of Adam Curtis movies, and um, I talked. I talked about my kind of like conflicted relationship with him. But you know, one of the things he's always talking about is power and narratives, and you know, these sort of secret forces controlling the world. So, uh, and I kind of wanted to, in thinking about that. Uh, I was reminded of The Devils, which is just this amazing story of power and corruption and lies, to quote uh, <laughs> New Order. And and then just, you know, reverse engineering doubt is just like a really solid, well done movie that deals with a very similar situation in a completely different way. Well, I guess we should check in with all three of us. You know, JT, how are you doing this week? Do you believe women? Yes, I do. I'm doing good. I like I don't know. This double feature like to me, I was um I was meaning to tell you guys keeping this secret. I was one course away in seminary school from joining the clergy. Wow. But now I oh. like there are a lot of problems with the Catholic Church. I'm just figuring out now and I'm really I'm feeling a lot of doubt. That, are you did you quit early? They never told me. Knew, oh, they just never told you. <laughs> well, so about you what? Were, yeah, they told you about what? They didn't have like a class where they're like they sit you down and you're like, look, if you ever diddle a kid, we got you. <laughs> you're a man, man here. Well, that's what I'm saying. JT, was it not till long after that you were rejected from the clergy that you found out the crimes of the Catholic Church? Um, no, just these movies. Just oh, watch them this week. <laughs> yeah. And I, I that's have, like when you fucking you told me you didn't know Woody Allen was a sex criminal until you were like when I got into movies in like middle school it was like for some reason I had never like looked at the Wikipedia page for Woody Allen 
and like far longer than I would like. Then it's very shameful because I was like probably like 15 woodies deep. And then someone was talking to me in high school and I was like, what? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And look, I said sex criminal, maybe not the smartest choice of words. Uh, The heart wants what it wants, folks. You know, he's been saying it for years. And, you know, as as someone who has connections to the Catholic Church through blood ties, through family. Yeah, of course. I won't be making any negative comments. Yeah, it has been established that Malcolm's family does profit from the catholic church <laughs> on our last our last religious episode guess, that we did i guess technically yes you yeah. could say that. it's the family business <laughs> well i also want to say i i chose these two films because they're just completely different takes on the same issue mm-hmm. like fundamentally that and the, the way they again dealing with power dealing with the literal patriarchy where you know the father the son the holy spirit yeah and just how you know as much of a free-for-all ken russell's the devil seems it is such a tightly controlled film and you know watching doubt i mean i was just struck by because it was a play first and it just had it's just there's so there's some scenes that really neatly hit like what playwriting is where it's like you got character motive uh high stakes that Mm -hmm. sort of thing so it's they're both i think uh interesting although i would say i probably uh, well i'll hold off on doubt for now uh, yeah uh, well i think in true you know grindhouse fashion i think the devils the x-rated film is the b film of the double feature uh did, did you guys watch the x-rated film of the the devils though or did you see a, a, a censored old cut is it well because i know that there wasn't like the full available version of for like home video for a long time but i'm pretty sure most of the I mean, let's be clear here. Most of the most of the HD versions on torrent sites are the recent uh, X-rated release. Okay, then yeah. yes. Well, I, the, yeah. there was also um, a fan cut mm. where they reinserted kind of like through things like DVD extras, work print stuff that they created um, the full horny vision. The yeah, full t- terror, terrifying vision. So that's the one I watched, and it was it's. Uh, I wasn't really sure how different it would be, but watching it uh for this i was like has some surprises yeah i mean there there's a point where it switches at least the version that i watched uh the recent blu-ray rip uh where it switches down to standard def resolution and it's clearly like taking from another release uh for a scene that wasn't included in this release which would be the uh i mean let's save it for later let's save it for later before i even say the name of the scene (laughs) as it's referred to on the website (laughs) i downloaded it from at least (laughs) doubt 2008 john patrick shanley all your favorites are here. Uh, Meryl Streep, Amy Adams. Uh, i usually not a huge fan of either of those. Both of them quite good here. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, who's not a fan of that guy? Uh, one, one of the It was just so nice to hear his voice. Oh, every time I watch one of his movies. The first movie we watched for this podcast was... Uh, uh, scent of a woman and like all of his scenes in that are like him talking on the phone and even just with that it's like a godly performance like just so comforting Absolutely. and just like guiding you through this absolute piece of shit two and a half hour movie uh, in the case of scent of a woman kind of a strange refreshing presence in that movie yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. not to circle back to our very first episode maybe we have to re-review that one too Damn. but uh, regardless uh in doubt philip seymour hoffman plays uh father flynn 
the uh, the head of this congregation in is it in uh, like Brooklyn in uh, it's somewhere I in think, New York or Queens or something like that. Yeah, it has. I mean, the architecture looks familiar, but they might have been trying to pass it off as Boston or some shit. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. Well, that's the thing because it was such like an I- Irish Catholic thing. I thought it was Boston, and then I had to look it up online and see that it was like uh, no, you know, parts shot in like uh, Queens and like bed. Bedford Stuyvesant uh, for all yeah. you New Yorkers out there who are listening oh, at the bodega. That's where I get my gabagool. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, I did recognize, you know, the architecture is very distinctive, mm-hmm. but again, like these Hollywood types, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> they just want their tax credits. Well, the thing is, it's also like, it's this stage play adaptation uh, so it is mm-hmm. very interior thing by design, but I think the use of the architecture and like the few exterior scenes mm-hmm. are super effective. We also have oh, yeah. cinematography here by Roger Deakins, and this is that late mid late two thousands Deakins look that I associate with like some of his work for Shyamalan more than for the Coen Brothers even, where there's a strange flattening to the exteriors that's like painterly and very just like surreal, and it, it makes sense that so much of this film takes place uh, in the interiors because of how kind of strange and off-putting the exteriors are. Yeah, you know, kind of just not, maybe not too relevant, but the church inside it looked kind of exactly like the church I used to go really growing up. And I, you know, I'm reckoning it probably wasn't shot in old Watsonville, California, probably just a, probably just a a classic church type. Yeah. But it is, I don't know. It's so for me, it kind of had like, it it almost felt like re-examining a space or something like that. Well, I, in examining the space is a good way to put it too, because early on that first sermon, there are so many strange angles, just like moving through that sermon. Like you have the, the weird, like rear view mirror on the church organ where the organist can see the people in the hall and you have like this one like sweeping shot uh with one of the nuns like disciplining a kid on the side of the aisle and stuff like that and i don't know it's a it's a very like interesting way i like i want to get this stuff out of the way uh to Mm -hmm. talk about the actual movie but in terms of the stage play adaptation it's like very interesting in terms of building out the world as a cinematic place rather than a set from a play absolutely it does not feel visually like a play and there's also deacons will do these little push-ins and it just makes the scene i don't know it's like when lob diaz this the floaty camera thing it's just like (laughs) this great thing that you know i i always um you can barely notice but you feel it even if you don't notice it to speak on those details just from the start like that guy playing whatever that lapped string instrument is uh that irish people play i guess smoking his paul malls and then like the cigarettes coming back later as philip seymour hoffman uh smokes later on in a scene uh and i i think just those two images like whether it's the old guy outside the apartment building playing music and smoking cigs and phil hoffman smoking one at the end i don't know there, there's something very dramatic about the use of the cigarette in both of those instances maybe because you don't see one for the rest of the film you know yeah the mo- this movie does a lot of that and like that is like a, a screenwriter thing of course but it, like it does it so much to the point where it's like I don't know something that might, that usually could be something that annoys me if it's telegraphed too often, but I kind of just right. accepted the mode it was in, and like I don't know, I kind of grew to enjoy that kind of like I don't know, maybe something like something like the fingernails feels like kind of <laughs> obvious, but like I don't know, there's something about that that just hits certain beats that 
don't know. No, I'm never going to forget fucking him talking about his fingernails, (laughs) just showing all those boys how to be a good boy with long, clean fingernails. (laughs) Oh, my God. I've noticed several of you guys got dirty nails. I I don't want to see that. I'm not talking about the length of your nails. I'm talking about cleanliness. See, look at my nails. All right, they're long. I like them a little long. Those are too long for me. That's uh, yeah. fucking no, terrifying. I, I'm getting self-conscious now thinking about that scene yeah. looking at my own. <laughs> I was gonna, I was just going to say, you know, my father told me to keep my nails dirty. Keep, you know, Really? Yeah, well, to keep, my, keep, oh. keep me hard working. Oh, okay. if, if your nails ain't dirty, oh. you know, you're not working hard. It's a little bit about that, that <laughs> classic Watsonville bootstraps <laughs> ethos. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I was just going to say that the objects in this film, again, because this is so much talking and kind of like... I think the characters have this very, um, they have these very different energies that are, that they're bringing to this situation Mm -hmm. and the objects. And again, just focusing on small objects, like a cigarette, like the fingernails, like the, um, little dancer toy that he gives the kid. Uh, it's, it's just, they're kind of there again for you to, not just sort of mark space or mark different character traits or whatever, but just to like make you really focus on details in a, in a physical way where it's like, okay, so why does this guy have this little dancer toy in his locker? (laughs) You know, like it looks like it came from a Cracker Jacks box. Why would a grown priest have that just on hand to give away? And then that's where the doubt comes in where you can start making your own, inferences yeah that was like all those little details because i was looking into uh john patrick shanley's like his other his filmography and i was surprised that he only did had like directed three movies and the only the other one i had seen was joe versus the volcano which is like a wildly (laughs) different like romantic comedy and i did a little bit more digging and seeing like his theatrical background. And I think something that connects that, I mean, he also wrote Moonstruck as well. Mm. All of those Mm -hmm. works like are sort of linked together by that like thorough specificity of like objects, spaces. Mm -hmm. Like this is a much smaller world than the crazy uh, stuff he does in Joe versus the Volcano. But I think he really gets that like tight knit sort of community, like Catholic community here. Absolutely. And especially in terms of like, uh, you know, religious based uh, American immigrant communities, too, because like you have the Italian American milieu and Moonstruck, even if it's in the the gabagool exploitation mode, you know, a little more (laughs) a little more comedic uh, while this is more deadly serious. I think that commitment to different, you know, American ethnic groups is definitely right there in the in in the two that I've seen at least and that we've reviewed on this podcast. Well, my favorite my favorite moment when the director shows that is a, a certain line read from a uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman when he's giving his you know his uh, gossip sermon and he's oh. like you're playing fast and loose with a man's reputation <laughs> <laughs> crazy line read that so that, good that fucking set me aback and yeah. not many not many actors could pull that off I feel like yeah but just it's... oscillating in between like the voice of the guy and the story he's telling and his own very strange sermon voice and yeah. just so much well, depth to his character there go ahead Violet but I was gonna say um so I have a friend who saw this as when it was a stage play and Philip Seymour Hoffman was not playing. He was not playing Father Flynn. It was a different actor. And there's so many. And she said she didn't like the film because 
Philip Seymour Hoffman is just sort of like charging in and just being angry. And the original, you know, the actor on the stage was kind of playing with it more. And so like, you know, when he, when Father Flynn is, uh, what is the name of Meryl Streep's character? Oh, Sister Al- Aloysius Bovier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Fakest name ever. No, but, that's yeah. right. Al- Sister Aloysius. Aloysius. Yes. yes. Sorry, I can't say that yes. name. Uh, no, that's why uh, I struggled too. I was like really afraid to fucking say her name on the podcast. But anyway, uh, but when, you know, Father Flynn is talking talking to Sister Aloysius and she she's told him that she's made some calls, let's say. And he responds by saying, you should have spoken to the pastor, <laughs> as opposed to, you should have spoken to the pastor. Yeah. You know, like, it's the, those little differences. And I think um, his, he, I do agree with my friend in the sense that he does kind of steamroll through this thing yeah. in a very angry way that, you know, probably because it came, the movie came out after all of this abuse was becoming even more and more. Mm-hmm. widely reported um and there isn't that ambiguity in what he's doing um and it would be interesting i would you know there were a lot of different lines where i was like okay well this could have come off so differently yeah mm-hmm. and i'm never but still i'm like so just i'm like, like i said i'm just glad to hear philip seymour hoffman talk <laughs> absolutely <know>? <laughs> the- <laughs> it's like okay be a big red steamroller i don't care <laughs> No, that's... Really, it makes me really sad that you died. God damn it! <laughs> it's funny that like the stage version kind of plays with like, um, you know, whether he's guilty or not more. Because I'll, I'll say this: I didn't really have much doubt. In <laughs> that's the movie. The th- that's that's what my you know that is the problem, right? Because you're supposed to have, and I mean even well, I guess are you were we gonna like walk through the well? Plot? That's what I was gonna say. We we've gone deep enough into this where it's like we're, we're probably not going to walk through it step by step but we have been kind of talking around this movie so Violet do you want to tell us a little bit about like for 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 the doubt novices out there for people who don't know doubt from shit uh, what, 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 what's doubt what, what's this all about Play, put the cards on the table very well so it's about this parish and there are three relative newcomers to the parish there is Father Flynn, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's a priest who has like kind of trying to modernize uh, the school and his sermons and whatnot. There is Amy Adams, who is a nun who is a teacher, and uh, there's a new student, Donald Miller, who is the the, the parish's first black student at the school. Presiding over them all is Sister Aloysius, who is the um, OG been there for a million years just like the most rigorously catholic nun you could imagine just like constantly like swatting people for fidgeting like having no patience uh just (laughs) suspecting everybody of having the worst intentions um and over the course of the film uh uh, she sister aloysius begins to suspect as does the other nun the younger more uh i guess generous nun played by Amy Adams that Father Flynn has drugged and raped Donald and that he was chosen because you know they Flynn chose him because he's like an outsider at the school you know racially and not really fitting in and culturally just kind of being shut out because he's not Irish or 
uh, Italian. And over the course of the film, um, you know, Sister Aloysius makes a really strong case and she just really believes it. And by the end of the film, well, actually, I was just tell the scene. So there is a scene where she confronts him in her office. Sister Aloysius confronts Father Flynn in her office and she says, uh, This morning, before I spoke with Mrs. Miller, I took the precaution of calling your last parish. What do you say? Who? The pastor. I did not speak to the pastor. I spoke to a nun. You, you should have spoken to the pastor. I spoke to a nun. You know, that's not the proper route for you to have taken, sister. The church is very clear. You're supposed to go through the pastor. Why? You have an understanding, you and he? No, you have no right to go rummaging through my past. You have a history. That freaks him out so much uh, that he resigns and he leaves. And so Donald is left with nobody to connect to. And Sister Aloysius, she's left with her doubts. And like what you, you know, she had, that's the final line of the movie is, oh, sister, I have such doubts. Um, and it's kind of like, you can say that she doubts what she did to Father Flynn was correct, or she just doubts her entire faith because this yeah. is just so traumatic that it's shaken her to her core. There's also not that many things that happen in this movie. It's kind of like no. four huge scenes, mm-hmm. uh, three or yeah. four huge scenes. The two in Sister Aloysius's office, one with Amy Adams, one without, uh, with the three main players kind of are just these like, incredible set pieces where you know each actor is kind of just like given you know free range to pretty much just go crazy and shanley is covering a lot of it in singles too which like Mm -hmm. uh allows I, i guess just allows like in comparison to theater allows for like the perfection of a take by one character you know to line up with other ones of course i we i also realize i should mention um viola davis played donald's mother and that to me is just like the scene oh yeah of the movie like that because um sister aloysius goes to her and she says you know i think you know father flynn has been inappropriate with your son and his mother says he just has to get through june because if he finishes at this school he's gonna be able to get into a nice high school which means he might have a shot at college my husband beats Donald enough as it is. Uh, so I just want to, you know, sh- she's basically saying, I will make this sac, he will make the sacrifice yeah. for a better future. And it's just so heartrending. It's like so, but, it, and it's, it, I mean, there are a lot of the things that come up over, over the course of the movie, like you can kind of see them coming. And that is just such like a gut punch and also mm-hmm. uh, a real like, apt metaphor for black life in this country it was it was just like it blew me away yeah because it was like three steps further it's like five steps removed from him having a successful life or anything like that it's like yeah he'll make it till june and then he'll get into a better high school which will get him a better chance to get into college just in general yeah Yeah. and so it's like you're there's so many you know people like father Flynn and situations like this that will arise along the way. There's no doubt 
uh, let alone the situation with his father, where I think it was implied Viola Davis, it, uh, she implies that like uh, her son's gay, yeah. and yeah. like uh, so her father is like beating him for that too. Right. Uh, like yeah, she said like his nature has changed or something like that. And so yeah, it's it, it's pretty depressing in that regard because it's like yeah, uh, Father Flynn seems to be the one guy who. Uh, has you know taken him under his wing at school and kind of you know helped him out when a bully knocked stuff out of his hand and stuff like that but you know of course always just giving you sympathy to outweigh the uh, potential <laughs> the movie does a good job of making this somewhat you know of course of course we know the right thing to do here but yeah. <laughs> um, it, it kind of makes it more difficult like intentionally by you know making uh, you know F- Philip Seymour Hoffman's character so charismatic. Yeah. In the beginning scenes, yeah. it's like, like the master in that regard. Where yeah. it's like, of course you can yeah. get away with that. He's Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, what do you, you know? <laughs> and compared to like you know just like the the nuns sitting and just not having any fun, it seems like Philip Seymour Hoffman is just living a very fun life compared to the rest of the <laughs> the parishioners of I the love, Catholic Church. I love the comparison of yeah. the dinners where it's the him and two other priests laughing and he's like telling them like a dirty joke or something yeah. <laughs> and. Then Oh, it's yeah. all the nuns eating that fucking disgusting chicken chow mein like has to be oh, the no. nastiest fake Chinese food ever. <laughs> like, yeah, and then like Amy Adams' character spits out a bad piece of the meat, <laughs> yeah. and Sister Aloysius looks at her real hard, and she puts it back in her mouth. It's like <laughs> again the objects, the objects, the, yeah. uh, the tiny details. <laughs> um. JT, do you have any uh, any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it up? Give it a rating out of a scale of one to five bullets. I mean, in terms of like looking at it through like black representation in a predominantly like white space, I think it's interesting the way like the character of Donald Miller is handled because he is sort of like in like I, I don't know. I mean, much like society, like particularly then would like treat African Americans like. It's just sort of like, uh, I, I don't know, It's he's more of an object. Like, they never talk to right. him throughout the course of it to really, like, interrogate his perspective on it. It's all sort of done around him. Yeah. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really fascinating. I mean, especially at points where they do, like, seem like they're going to explore that angle more. They only, like, very begrudgingly bring in Mrs. Miller to, like, sort of present it. And it's mm-hmm. interesting to see how... Uh, the the main three perspectives arguing about like supposedly about his welfare like <laughs> generally leave him out of it yeah, yeah and they're, all they're gonna... three honkies <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and they're all going to try uh, to keep it within the family too you know th- this is something where you know they they're not going to go to like authority or anyone that could really help they're just like we just want this to stop and to you know stop mention of it not any you know consequences yeah Rating? Right. Um, yeah, I'm going to give this uh, three and a half bullets. I thought it was pretty great. Like, I was definitely surprised because I remember, like, 2008 being a young movie head boy hearing about Doubt as, like, oh, no, this is a standard, like, kind of Oscar movie. But I think it is, like, something a lot more than that where it's, like, a very simple story told very well through a lot of, I don't know, what we're talking about, specificity, little details, and, like, spectacular performances mm-hmm. that uh really make it a great time yeah i'm gonna go three and a half bullets as well 
like this is you know Hollywood's uh, greatest you know coming together to make a, a quality product. I mean maybe not greatest, but it's like <laughs> these are all these are all you Malcolm know, the number one Amy Adams <laughs> stand. <laughs> these are all professionals. I mean especially someone like Deacons, yeah. right? Deacons definitely it's already a good screenplay, but in terms of you know visual style, I mean definitely elevates this very highly and like I don't know makes some gives some cinematic language to some scenes that um, you know would be lesser and you know traditional actor-based Oscar fair. Yeah, there's one shot uh, like between the Viola Davis and Meryl Streep scene, that walk and talk, and then after that, it's Streep's confrontation with Phil Hoffman and her approaching his office, uh, you get this Dutch angle tracking shot, like oh, uh, yeah. uh, her approaching the camera. It's like, oh my God, this just became a fucking horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like it's, it's so awesome though. It's like perfect for that transition between the two most intense scenes of the movie. Yeah, no, there, there, there are a lot of like Dutch angles. Yeah. Which are just like, sometimes there's no, there's seemingly no reason for it, which again, it's like, the the idea the perceptual doubt comes in in that uh respect um i will give it also three and a half bullets uh but the bullets are all right there is a cross carved onto each one of the bullets <laughs> oh wow that is because... that is a vengeful uh firearm user that means you could use yes. it right righteously Exactly. Yeah. Righteous kill. Yeah. You ever Righteous seen that kill. one? Yeah. No, I haven't. <laughs> Me neither. I might Good start living it. Good title. Uh, uh, I'll give this three and a half as well. This is the classic segment of everyone's, f- the, the first segment on the show, The Sixth Sense, when we all have the same opinion. <laughs> uh, I don't think I ever actually locked down what it was. I think it's the six, yeah, the six cents. Yeah. Because of it's each of our two cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but after a while, I started saying <laughs> just the name of the Shyamalan movie, <laughs> which is better because it's like we're, you know, we see each other even though we're all dead on the inside. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that, yeah, uh, I, I think one scene that we didn't talk about really is the 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 sermon about intolerance. Yes. Uh, our oh, favorite yes. movie, our favorite favorite sermon philip seymour hoffman weaves this tale uh <laughs> and there's there's a line that he says in the character of the old irish pastor saying like yo you poorly educated female <laughs> yes <laughs> which is so yeah. great but uh he tells the story about this woman who did a little bit of gossing she she spread some hot goss and so she had to go to the top of a hill, stab a pillow, and then pick up all of the feathers. And we get that visualized with her on top of the apartment building that we saw earlier, and all of those feathers floating over the courtyard. It's really an incredible shot. And uh, then Phil Hoffman has a Philip Seymour Hoffman just delivering that whole sermon is great. But the cl- the closing line of "And that," said Father O'Rourke, is gossip. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's fucking right. That's how I felt the last couple of days looking at the freaking internet, man. Hey, you know, a lot of people talk. We watch actions. Let's <laughs> let's see you do something. Well, we'll be right back on extended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Father O'Rourke answered her. Yes, you ignorant, badly brought up female. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You've played fast and loose with his reputation, and you should be heartily ashamed. I'm making big political changes in my neighborhood. Oh, well, that's actually pretty cool to hear. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's actually, great, man. I'm on some Sesame Street type shit. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> that is really good to hear. Oh my god! And we're back on extended clip. It's everyone's favorite segment, Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm, um, did you did you watch anything noteworthy this week? Yeah, you know i I love the classics. You know me. I love <laughs> I, lo- I love the old hardest movies. eye contact you've ever made with me during that pregnant pause there. Uh, so yeah, we got that covered. Love the classics. So Jean Renoir, that's a classic man right there. And I decided, you know, to get a little patriotic and check out his first American movie. And it's called Swamp Water. And I mean, right off the bat, Swamp Water, Jean Renoir, I'm intrigued. I'm in. I'm in. And then you got you got people like Walter Brennan, Ann Baxter, Dana Andrews, John Carradine, even fucking Ward Bond. We got a, we got an all-star roster here. The movie's like I wouldn't I I like it a lot, but what makes it worthwhile is just get seeing Renoir shoot in a swamp and he shoots on location at the swamp and just I don't know, he just gets off a lot of great compositions of kind of Dana and Andrew just being uh, consumed by this swamp like all this vegetation and trees and there's so much of it and it all looks the same and uh, just to give a, a brief overview of what the movie's about Danny Andrews character he's a hunter and he lo- lost his dog in the swamp he goes to get his dog he finds Walter Brennan aka Tom Kiefer and he's been on the run for a crime he didn't do and basically long story short Danny Andrews character tries to clear his name it's complicated but, uh, you know, I think this is Dana Andrews' first leading role, too, which is, you know, funny enough. He gives that good, you know, uh, ambitious young man energy to this role. And, uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Nice. I got to check that one out. I still haven't seen any American Renoir. I've only seen the uh, the early foo-foo Frenchy shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's funny enough. I feel like this was my first American Renoir, too. Oh, so Okay, okay. Starting from the start. Starting from the start. Uh, JT. What about you? Well, I know you and I, we've talked about, um, I don't know, just in general, as a podcast, as fellas, I I want to do better. I want to (laughs) expand areas of knowledge, and I want to learn more. Thank you. Thanks, JT. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, So we've talked about you and me, Eddie, doing more. Not me. Not you. No, (laughs) we're talking about Bollywood boys, like getting more into Bollywood movies. And I watched... Rob Nibana Di Jodi uh, with uh, Shah Rukh Khan as like one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen because it really plays on his star power and not having not seen that many films with him I, I, I still can get it but it's instead of playing a Chad like he normally would be <laughs> it's a tale as old as time of class versus swag and he <laughs> is uh, playing the character Suri who is sort of like a really buttoned down guy with an office job kind of a dork and he goes to his old uh, professor's like daughter's wedding and while he's there, her daughter's husband-to-be is fucking killed. And um, that causes the professor. He has, like, a heart attack. Everything's in chaos. And he sort of asks her, uh, he asks uh, Shah Rukh Khan if he can uh, marry his daughter. And so they sort of go through with that, like, kind of arranged marriage then to, like, pick up the pieces. But it's, Shah Rukh Khan is in love with her from the start. She's mm-hmm. a beautiful angelic woman uh but he's he's such a wimp he can't confess it to her 
And so he winds up going to his friend who's like a hairdresser. And he's like, look, like I know my wife now, like I want her to know how much she loves me, but I can't tell her. And so I'm going to go to this dance competition that she's doing as an entirely different man (laughs) and win her over and show her love. And he does it under the name of Raj Kapoor. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Which is so fucking Uh, funny. And he's like in like Ed Hardy t-shirts, all swagged <laughs> out, and just like just I mean, essentially just takes off his glasses and does his hair differently, <laughs> and it's like oh, it's a different guy, but um, it's so fucking beautiful and crazy and over the top and just like I mean, playing with his presence where it's like he is a really meek guy doing an imitation of like a meek guy's Chad yeah. at one point. No, yeah, our friend uh, friend of the show, Yush, his Letterboxd review has this as like uh, Shah Rukh's best turn in which he plays a character he's never played before playing a character he's played a hundred times. <laughs> that sounds like the best premise for a star vehicle for him ever, yeah. Yeah, and it's a, a wild ride and just... Uh, I, we love love here and it's <laughs> beautiful true. in that regard because I, I think when he's talking about uh, his love he describes it as like seeing God in mm. her eyes and uh, I I will admit I cried quite a lot Aww. during this picture it was very beautiful oh. I would recommend seeing it because of how much you love love that's you know <laughs> the ethos of the show uh, Violet have you have you watched anything recently uh, of noteworthy <laughs> oh boy I cannot talk right now I just wanted to say that's why our movie podcast is so good it's because we have love in our hearts that's true I belong to this secret uh, double feature club and we share files and kind of like meet over zoom to discuss the films uh, sometimes actually famous people like Elliot Gould was there one time Whoa. And I got to s- scream to Elliot Gould over Skype, I'll take you over Word Baby any day. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you're my 70s new Hollywood boyfriend. Um, it was great. But uh, the most recent one that I tuned in for, so it was a Richard Linklater double feature where it was Slacker and Dazed and Confused. And I hadn't seen Dazed and Confused since I was like, I remember it was after I graduated high school and I'm like, okay, let me watch this famous movie about high school and see how it is. And I really didn't like it then. And I don't like it now. It just seems to kind of revel in the cruelty a little bit too much. Oh yeah. I mean, that's why I love it, but I get, (laughs) I I get, I mean, for someone who wanted to die every day of high school, I find the cruelty (laughs) of that film uh, to be a great, a great comedic release for me. But I also understand how deeply cruel of a film it is. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I feel like Freaks and Geeks is so much. It's like a way better representation mm. of my experience of high school, and like the cruelty in Days Confused hits, no pun intended, differently <laughs> than it does in Freaks and Geeks. And I think also the characters kind of. I don't know. There's something there's something kind of fetishistic about it. But anyway, I had never seen Slacker before. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Oh, it was yeah. just so funny. And I'm somebody who is uh, very interested in um, the evolution of conspiracy theories and kind of like uh, how they impact people's perception and how they they 
they propagate and grow just like as a social phenomenon. I find them very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, sometimes the stories are great where it's like, you know, uh, Castro killed JFK, which is why we still have an embargo on Cuba, like stuff like that. But anyway, yeah, a um, conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I've seen JFK. I know it's, I know yeah. it's real. Can't trick me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw the extra long cut of JFK. Oh, was there more Joe Pesci intricate gay sex? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not enough of it. <laughs> so much left on the cutting room floor. No, I was going to, but Slacker is, is just, um, I don't know. It's just like vibing. It's like, and it's very funny. Absolutely. And I, and I had not expected it to be funny because it was so built up as like this huge important thing. And I was just like, yeah, you know, and this was, it was just sort of also, I don't know, bittersweet to look back on a time when you could just be like hanging out and not worrying about money and just like working at a coffee shop or not working at all. Yeah. And just be, just have time just to kind of express. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to like evolve your thinking, uh, chill, try to rob that old. Uh, anarchist professor guy like shit like that it was very i i loved it nice. slacker is amazing i mean i think those are the two best link later films honestly as someone who's watched all of his films within the last like four or five years or so uh mm. i think those are kind of the two best uh and i think wait have you seen uh waking excuse life? me uh yes i've seen waking life i know um <laughs> good old well actually so those are the our our friend in new media appears in that yes. our new media colleague yes. appears in that one uh, yes. i actually wrote about that in the pdf we uploaded today so patrons can check that out nice nice yeah so alex jones makes an appearance in waking life uh but i was gonna i mean i would say my favorite link later is bernie oh, mm. oh, oh hell yeah yeah, we did a Bernie pod a while back. It's amazing. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great movie. Um, and just Jack Black, and again, it's it's a simple story done very well, mm. and also it's hilarious and sad, and it's a, it's a it's good. And now that guy lives in uh, Richard Linklater's garage, I guess. <laughs> the real Bernie lives in his garage, or he was for some time. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think now he's on his own uh, while Richard Linklater makes his green screen space movie, <laughs> uh, which I hope will be good. Uh, I, I feel like Bernie's one of the, like one of the last challenging role or one of the only challenging role. I feel like I've seen Jack Black. I think take. we've talked about yeah. all of the good yeah. Jack Black movies on this podcast. Yeah. We've talked about Shallow Hal. We've talked about that. <laughs> Does Be Kind Rewind good? Is no. that good? No. But we okay. didn't talk about School of Rock. We need School to do Rock. a School of Rock up for Linklater. It's a big child. Because that was that's the me. thing. Slacker was one of my favorite movies for me as a cinephile. Like as when mm-hmm. I started watching, like made an effort, watch a movie every day, like when I was like mm-hmm. 18, you know? Because he also does so much cool formal shit with yeah. the camera. Like in a way that he really doesn't do in his other movies. Mm-hmm. So and it's so clear that he loves Tarkovsky. Like yeah. he wears he kind of wears his influences on his sleeve and the part where they throw the camera. Uh, off the cliff like, I mean I'm, it's, it's just it's great no yeah he's the he's the one American like studio director who does the Tarkovsky he does the sculpting in time I don't think I yes. can say sculpting in time is like an applicable phrase for any other like 
American studio uh, director. But I was going to say that was my favorite movie as a cinephile when I started. School of Rock was just my favorite movie as like an eight year old. Like mm-hmm. that was just my favorite. Oh, it's shit. so fun. Like, that was the coolest shit ever. My grandma, yeah. whose apartment I'm about to move into, she took me to that. Yeah. She actually took me to two Jack Black movies back to back. She took me to that and Nacho Libre. Oh, uh, she adored uh, both too. I like Nacho uh, Libre. <laughs> I like Nacho Libre. But School of Rock is big for you know teaching fat you know young fat kids like myself how to have swag. Exactly, Jack- dude. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jack Black had to be a pioneer there. Dude, yeah. That and Shallow How, he's a body positivity legend. Honestly. Absolutely, man. <laughs> the 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 work we've done for the body positive community on this podcast between our our <laughs> extolling the virtues of Shallow Hal and everything else Jack Black related is just unmatched. Just to give ourselves a little credit here. Uh, but I, I watched a Bollywood film this week too, starring Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, I watched Man Who Nah, uh, the directorial debut by Farrah Khan. I gotta say, one of the most assured directorial debuts I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, when you're lumped into the Bollywood system and like your directorial debut is a studio film that's three hours long starring the best movie star in the world. Like, you know, you I guess you have the tools at your disposal. Uh, but this is just such an incredible movie. Uh, he is this army major who goes Rodney mode. He goes back to school, <laughs> baby. Uh, he, as, you know, this is 2004, Shah Rukh Khan. He's been a star for quite some time. Goes back to school to find his long lost little brother and also protect the daughter of this, like, uh, you know, militia leader or something like that. Uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of, like, the army versus the crime stuff going on. I, I don't get it, but who cares? Like, the, the <laughs> drama is, like, what's real here. The, the romance uh, budding between his younger brother and the woman he's sent there to protect is so amazing. Uh, and just like the the pure like dedication to protecting her for three hours without ever even getting a tiny bit horny for her uh, is just so admirable. That's in a what movie, you're supposed to do. Yeah, in a movie that is just, just, <laughs> just drenched with like people touching each other and such sensual like staging throughout even in the, in the musical numbers particularly. But, you know, he finally finds someone to lust for when the new hot teacher shows up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and one of my favorite like surreal musical sequences ever where you're just in this like swampland kind of like this beautiful like green and blue like very uh indiscreet pasture of land and there's just like this outdoor classroom setup that's very old school like a chalkboard that has like the alphabet or something like or i think it just has chemistry on the chalkboard or whatever uh and you know they're dancing very sensually on that set during the music music video the musical number uh but i think the music video aesthetic and the editing and the camera movement contributes a lot to this it's this post 2000s mtv aesthetic you have a lot of western streetwear at this college that he's going back to and i think the the clash of like the sensibilities of this being a bollywood movie them wearing western streetwear and just everything going on in this movie contributes it uh contributes to it just having a million things going on at once you know it's a apparent from what i've read it's a pastiche of the masala movie which you know has all these genres bunched into one and it it does it you know the action is amazing the romance is sweeping with insane camera movements and swelling scores and uh the melodrama hits as hard as you could possibly imagine so go watch main who not a most original conception, Your Majesty, the birth of Venus. I pray that I may assist you 
in the birth of a new France where church and state are one. The Devils is a film by Ken Russell. Sorry, did you want to say it? No, you could say it. <laughs> you always say it. <laughs> <laughs> JT, say oh. it. The Devils, okay. a 1971 film by Ken Russell. Thank you. Uh, Violet, whoa, 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 too scary for me. I don't, I don't like The Devil. What's this thing all about? She hang up on me for that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do you hear me? Do you hear me now? Now I can hear you, you. Yes. Okay. No, that was that was very funny. Uh, no, um, I was I was agreeing with you actually. Uh, it's a very scary movie about um, based on Aldous Huxley's book called The Devils of Loudon, and it's a as the title card says, this is a true story about um, basically. Uh, this uh, priest who was Father Grandier, uh, who's played by legendary Oliver Reed. Absolutely fucking love that guy. Who's kind of, you know, he's he's not uh, he's not adhering to the uh, the the abstinence part of being a priest, but he is being very, you know, he's protecting uh, the citizens of the walled town Loudon. Because the former governor died of the plague, and now he's he's been given this power, and he wants to keep Loudon, uh, you know, maintain the sanctity of its walls, not you know, and its of course sovereignty, uh, and also protect the Protestants who live within the town alongside Catholics, because this is during the religious wars uh, mm. in France. So he he um he's also very handsome. All the he ladies is. love him. Including Sister Jean, who is played by Vanessa Redgrave, and truly one of the most incredible performances. Like I, I you know, you were praising um, Meryl Streep earlier, but fucking Vanessa Redgrave, oh, absolutely, man. yeah, fucking amazing. Knocks her out of the park here. I, I don't see uh, Meryl with a hunchback anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just the, I mean, the space built for her hunchback, like, room, you know, from the second you see that little door, uh, you just kind of get the feeling of how much, like, her presence is going to weigh on the film, and it really does, like, even when she's not on screen, it's really an incredible performance by Redgrave. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, and, um, well, sh- yeah. Uh, we'll sa- we'll save talking about the uh, the set design for later because there's so much to say. But anyway, she accuses him of uh, using witchcraft and consorting with the devil and having other you know other sisters in the um, in their uh, their nun organization. I don't know. I, I'm not Catholic. I'm not even Italian. It fucks me up to think. I, people, I, people go around thinking I'm Italian. Monastic. <laughs> yeah, no one's Italian on this podcast. Let's get that oh, thing very God. clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've had one on here once, and that's as close as we're going to get. <laughs> anyway, so like she, she accuses him of all this stuff. And because uh, Cardinal Richelieu um, and other... Um, other religious leaders are eager to destroy the sovereignty of sovereignty of small towns like Loudon and fold them into the French Empire and use it as an excuse to consolidate their power. Um, that they go along with it, even though the the actual there's 
the evidence for it is literally laughable. It is presented <laughs> as laughable multiple times. And there's lots of priming. And um, the nuns, the uh, Sister Jean's fellow nuns, initially go against it and be like, no, you can't, you can't accuse Father Grandier. This is wrong. Uh, and then they're put into a hole, uh, tied <laughs> up. And they're pointing shotguns at, shotguns at them, and they say, you know, the their captors say, if you re if you renounce him, if you back up this story, you know, you're you're free to go. <laughs> and so, they start acting like they're possessed, and they just go. They're like naked, and it, I mean, also it's worth mentioning that like back in the day, nuns were. Not like women who just really like Jesus, but were. Um... <laughs> so you have one sin at least, the sin of pride. Do you know why most of us are here? Because you love our Lord Jesus Christ and wish to serve him. Most of the nuns here are noble women who have embraced the monastic life because there was not enough money at home to provide them with dowries. <laughs> or they were unmarriageable because ugly, a burden to the family. Uh, the daughters of aristocracy who could not afford them. They were women who had had a pregnancy either because they had a lover or they were raped. So it was kind of a convenient way to get rid of women who uh, didn't really want to take care because they didn't benefit the patriarchal order. Um, and so the nuns just go buck wild. They're ripping off their clothes. They're like groping each other. They really lean into the performance they give. And I think, and obviously part of that is because they are sexually repressed. These are young women forced into this uh, devotional lifestyle that would rather be doing anything else. And they don't get to because they're not useful to the patriarchy. However, because they're nuns, uh, they're the pure nuns corrupted by this evil father Grandier, uh, they become useful. They become very useful. And, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, the church wins out in the end. They pin this crime on Father Grandier. They make him, you know, they keep trying to get him to confess and he refuses to confess even as he's being burned alive at the stake. And uh, it's, it's like, it's like, um, it's truly, I love this movie so much. It's like almost hard for me to talk about how much I love it. So. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really incredible. And what I think I, I really love about the ending there is what follows after he burns to death is the collapse yes. of the walls of the city. And you're kind of reminded that like it was kind of this political thing that like set all of these things into motion this you know uh someone says in the beginning a new france where church and state are one like very <laughs> yes. enthusiastically and yes. uh e even if the you know political uh machinations of it or whatever like I, I i don't get everything that's going on it's like enough to just guide you through from one mm -hmm. incredible set piece and piece of set design to mm -hmm. another. Uh, we talked about this when we talked about Suspiria, where it's just like, anytime you're in a new room, 
you're like at least for me it's like i kind of just forget what's going on dramatically because i just want my eyes are just exploring the space and i just like i'm not listening to the dialogue and i have to run it back you know because it's just such insane set design in this movie yeah no i mean the set design and the costumes too are very like detailed very ornate you know i i love the nun's habits and i've never seen a habit like that before i love like kind of the cross on the front, it kind of looks like a logo. Like it literally looks like they're wearing a jersey, a team yeah. jersey. <laughs> yeah, Nike made these ones for them. <laughs> I would say that's intentional. Yeah, it's just like one of those um, sort of legendary weird movies that it's just like you watch it and you're like, all right, this this earns it. This is actually, you know, Netflix is always trying to like approach something like this, but they do it in a bullshit art, you know, art by committee way. Yeah. And this is like, yes, this is a real fucking thing because. Ken Russell, very hated during his day because uh, he had actually converted to Catholicism. So for him to make this movie is kind of an interesting tension. Um, And he was someone who was very, very, very influenced by silent cinema. And I think you can see that in all of his movies, that faces are really important, that the costumes are very important, the, the, the sort of like the the gusto, the bravado with, by which people deliver their lines is very much influenced by silent cinema, as are these beautiful visuals. You know, this, the lighting is so expressionistic. The set design, which is, you know, the the nuns, where the nuns live, uh, in the book, Sister John's exorcism was described as a rape in a public lavatory, oh, end okay. quote. So the white, and so he designed, you know, Russell wanted to use white tiles to give you that sense of like, you're in the toilet. Mm. You know, these women live in a toilet. They're subterranean. They're out of sight. Uh, They are the turd you flush. Like it was, and I mean, I think, um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's just such a brilliant choice and it's so expressive. And I would also say at the end when the walls fall down, uh, you know, there's also they're similarly white. Uh, it's I think it's a it's for I think people watching it in 1971, it would definitely be reminiscent of the Blitz, mm. right? And just that sort of destruction and trying to move forward and the road ahead for um, Grande Grandier's widow. Uh, yeah, he got secretly married. Uh, he's a priest. He does whatever he wants. Um, uh, you know, the road ahead for her is littered with bodies on pikes that are rotting. And so it's just, and you can't, she has to kind of walk to nowhere now. It's, it's, it's such a, uh, again, I think it's just, a, he is so expressive with the visuals that it's just like, please just watch this. Like, just please admire you know when you're watching a Ken Russell movie, mm. and I'm and I, that's kind of a corny bullshit thing to say, but really he creates this holistic world that is just so unique and gaudy, and expressive, and sexy or fucked up sex ish, <laughs> showing how disgusting sex can be and pushing pushing these boundaries of what is acceptable, but it's also it's so beautiful like it's Mm. it's it's um yeah he's a good filmmaker (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I think what you said about silent, when you said he was influenced by silent filmmakers, also one aspect of that is the use of the crowd in this film. Mm. Like whether it's all of the nuns uh, just in their insanity or the trial with all, you know, there's this recurring thing of all these people from the town in masks, just like as part of the audience kind of like whether it's that trial or the nuns all naked, like going crazy and shit. Uh, There's always these, you know, I proto eyes wide shut masked dudes who are just like (laughs) chilling, watching the depravity go down like (laughs) us. Yeah. Uh, and, And I think that that use of like masses of bodies and the, um, the the dichotomy of that and those incredible close-ups on the main players here is just so great and yeah we talked about the set design already a little but especially the black and white spaces are just like i don't know there's something about the film grain maybe uh that just makes it look all like not quite actually black and white there's a little bit of just murky grossness to it kind of uh and and i really love that it's also worth mentioning that the sets were designed by derek jarman Mm. which i think you again you're transported to this completely different world where you're in jarman land and uh Again, you you don't get to you, you're not allowed to leave because of these repressive forces. Oh, also one thing I didn't know about this film going in. I mean, I could have just looked it up, but like I didn't. I was surprised by the factor that the plague uh, played in it, and mm-hmm. there's quite a few just like montages of boils and like fucked up oh doctors trying mm-hmm. different shit. I love that. Uh, oh, the, the killer yeah. cure doctors. Oh, please come quickly. The chemist and the surgeon is no good mother's dying. A delicate dusting of pollen, nature's most fragrant balm, the eucalyptus pollen. From the Greek eucalyptus, covered flower protected by a cap. A trap for the heroic ornament. I'm an actor as healer. <laughs> a poison to exercise poison. A kill or cure. <laughs> Uh, that yes. as they're referred to and you hear people shouting bring out your dead and just <laughs> dead bodies fucking flying all over the place i think like it, it's much more of uh in terms of at least dramatic structure it's more of like a drama than a horror movie but scenes yes. like that are just so fucking disgusting <laughs> like just seeing the bugs under those hot cups on <sighs> people's boils on their skin yeah. and the the lady who's laying on a crocodile that was like straight out of a fucking Fulci movie yeah. <laughs> yeah. throwing the crocodile in the fire and then it comes back <laughs> later like that, oh what the fuck man that made me go crazy yeah. like I, I, I was I, hooting and hollering dude I was yeah. stomping at that and I, I love I love the kind of like the setup of the characters here because it's like you have the alpha priest. Yeah. A tale as old as time. And then, <laughs> and then you have these dastardly scientists, these pervert scientists who want to prick and poke and, you know, do things to people. You get yeah. the smoke and the smog with the pervert scientists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, it's so, the oh perfect set piece. For also, that. speaking of smoke and smog, oh, my God. When Redgrave is imagining him, like, uh, coming up to her, because in the beginning, Grandier is like, uh, leading this procession through mm-hmm. and Sister Jean is like looking through her little crawl space yeah. and she imagines yeah. that he's just walking on water through all of this thick clouds and sm- uh, like fog and stuff uh, to approach her and it's just straight out of like a 70s softcore movie like it's so yes. just lurid mm-hmm. you know but it's beautiful in that way that like 
I don't know, just 70s cinemascope sleazy movies have <laughs> that just raw beauty in them that nothing else has really. You know, it's kind of yeah. sets Russell apart for me. Kind of, well, I mean, he made a lot of different movies. It's like, it's, it's not like this is like an erotic film necessarily, but it's like he has like for someone who deals with, I don't know, like subjects of like horror or something. He's so high energy and mm. he's so, yes, like, he's so overwhelmed. That's, that's kind of the emotion I associate most with Russell is kind of like, overwhelming there's like there's uh always like such rich iconography like you know walking on water you know if the jesus dream and whatnot and just i mean of course every every single scene has some sort of you know visual gambit or it, it just uh, has like a, a wide scope that is just a lot to take in and uh it's 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 really interesting to see how i don't know he kind of keeps this momentum up because i feel like maybe i don't know maybe a movie like Litzomania, kind of a random Russell poll. It's like doesn't <laughs> keep up that momentum for me like this one does. No, like, it's, like it, yeah. it, re it really is because there's there's kind of like that great excess in that movie, but it just works here just because I don't know. I guess just each scene just fires on all cylinders and is you know it does get crazier as it goes along too. Yeah. Is was what also helps the momentum. Yeah, I mean the the thing the thing I would say is just that again this is a ludicrous situation. <laughs> This is a totally inappropriate and so much of what, you know, like the village people are drawn to, uh, the townspeople are drawn to are spectacle. You know, there's a pantomime at his uh, execution. Like this is how much the, the everyone is just invested in spectacle. And of course, the grandeur and the spectacle of the church and, you know, the 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 first appearance of the king where he plays <laughs> venus emerging from her shell um and uh trying to like trying to imagine that power coming together with the power of the church that's absurd yeah but it comes together with the power of the church and it comes together with those fucking gross scientist guys and you know um even though sister john is sort of the one who brings this on uh because she feels rejected um, she's the one who's constantly being physically tortured. Uh, the other nuns just kind of get to do whatever they want. And she's just yeah. constantly like getting fucking boiling water shot inside of her and all this. It's horrifying. Like yeah. she's being tortured. But again, it's, it's all in the service of this patriarchal power. Like that spectacle has to happen for the, the, this, uh, change of leadership to take place and i love the the contradiction or not contradiction at least but like the just to contrast the the power of the state versus the church because the church you have these old decrepit you know black and white set design just insane like you know crazy iconography and stuff and then the mm -hmm. state you just have these like old-timey like this lawn that he's on in this very like effeminate Versailles. Pink costume. Yeah. In Versailles, just shooting a pistol at like guys in scarecrow costumes or whatever. Like it's, oh my God, it's that... a great gag. The reveal at the end of that, like five minute scene where it seems like he's been taking target practice, but it's then revealed that it's guys in like a mascot basically type. Suit. Oh my God. That part freaks me out. Yeah. No, it's fucked. <laughs> Another Protestant bird for your bag, Richelieu? Honorably done, your majesty. They, you hear their muffled screams and they like <laughs> have to fucking run the gambit of these sick aristocrats. You know what I mean? Like, 
it also made me think of something that didn't work for me you know at all really mm-hmm. from a couple years ago the favorite uh and ah. like the kind of the kind of absurdity that happens in that film right. in the name of depravity whether it's like the hooking up or the animals running through the house or whatever yeah and then you think about this one <laughs> it's just like the guy just shooting people that's in in bird costumes and like the amount of depravity that feels like it is real for how old and fucked up these institutions are you yeah. know it's not like he's really doing a modern sleazy take on it exactly <laughs> like uh, people were nasty back then you know they didn't shower and they also did weird violence and sex stuff too i'm sure <laughs> no this is i i, I do enjoy, kind of enjoy just how vile things get like and it is you know it's interesting you know talking about how like the nuns aren't needed until this moment and it's like yeah they you know it's spring break that's, yeah. that's, they, they, it's and that's you know the patriarchy always needs a good spring break absolutely so oh. and and it's <laughs> and like I don't know like the scenes where they're like the king shows back up when you know the nuns are at their wildest and it seems like they're just throwing some sort of house party exorcism or something like that jacking off candles jacking yeah, off yeah. Candles. yeah that's it yeah I mean some, sometimes yeah. You, you, got, you just gotta get what you know whatever you could get your hands on you know? <laughs> yes queen <laughs> come on man <laughs> <laughs> but I love I, I love uh, just uh, I don't know there's an enjoyment to this depravity yeah. that and is, also makes it fun what we said earlier about like how there's always like some new element that's being added in like at that point when they're all convinced that they're witches they get this other priest who's like a, a a witch hunting specialist. Oh, the like hippie kind of priest. Yeah, and he he his affectation is almost like the the boss from Grandma's Boy who does the robot voice. <laughs> like he reminds me of that. Like this skinny <laughs> guy who holds all of this mystical power. You know, like, it's just so like insane to me. What? Uh, like his character just feels so ridiculous, but also like believable in the realm of this wholly ridiculous move. Well, I think it's interesting because he has he kind of looks like a hippie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's somebody who would be totally pro free love. And um, during one of the course of his treatments, quote unquote treatments of Sister Jean, he has sex with her. He rapes her. And you hear her, you know, it's like there, there are these little things or again, maybe this is like the full naughty cut that I saw. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I saw it in this cut, too. Yeah. yeah that's, but just like... Um, he see, he's like a poser in every way because he has like the uh, you know he has this immense power. He's um part. He's the agent of this the most powerful organization in France, uh, and he has like his little NHS glasses on. He's got his long hair. He's just like, hey, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to believe women. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> what we said about the the full naughty cut earlier. I want to get into a scene that is presented only in standard definition. So that makes me think, I think I know which one you're going to talk about. (laughs) Well, it's while the nuns are going crazy. It's kind of a diversion within that. Uh, The, the torrent site that I downloaded this from the first thing that says is yes, this is the X rated version with the rape of Christ scene. Yes. Yes. I was like, Oh, okay. Well I'll know it when I see it. (laughs) Uh, And then I saw it. Uh, where they 
Uh, did, I mean, did you see this in your version where they take down the Christ yeah. statue, you know, and they're all riding it and shit no. like that? Yeah, you no, not see this actually, Malcolm? no, I must, I must. Oh boy, oh, I'm gonna pull it up after we're done podding and show yeah. it to you. Oh, I need that. Yeah. Just lay the audio on top of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought you were talking about the 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 fantasy the nun has when she's thinking about how you know having sex with Jesus and sucking oh, on no, no, sucking no. on his wounds so, or Gary Eight. Who appears as Jesus? Yeah, <laughs> or the I mean, the one thing that is from the version I watched for this that just stands out so much to me is when um, the Baron de Labre de Mont, I guess is how you would say that if you knew how to speak mm-hmm. French. Um, he, you know, he's one of the main um, instigators of the investigation and all this stuff, and he comes to visit Sister Jean, and he hands her one of. Uh, Father Richet's charcoal blackened bones. You know, this guy, this man has just been burned to to death alive and he gives it to her um, and she initially knocks it out of his hand, but then Russell cuts to it on the floor and uh, let's just say uh, it looks like a cock and balls. It looks like a dildo, except for it's a bone. Looks like or absolutely 1,000% (laughs) is. Yeah, yeah, let's just use, let's put on our imagination hats for a second and say, what if? (laughs) Um, Well, that's the thing. It's because like, it it looks like it's like severed at, you know, the base of it. But the part that she caresses very close to her mouth, like when you get that shot, it's like, oh. The, there is absolutely no doubt that this is uh, this man's charcoaled, severed cock and ball, yeah. uh, which is still hard through the burning. <laughs> hey, man, my man was rocking a rocking a large package. I mean, you know, it does make sense. He was kind of he was, you know, the town alpha. And everyone just conspired to get him down. I know how that feels. Yeah, <laughs> but like before he gets burned, when he's like the the final kind of instiga- investigation scenes before he's put up on the cross, even there, when that guy who's leading the investigation is like bashing the heads of statues while interrogating. Oh him yeah, is one of my favorite scenes, just because yeah. Russell is just like moving the camera, just catching these mm-hmm. statues getting beheaded on the edge of the frame to ramp up the intensity of the scene before this guy gets killed. Right. It's it's incredible. And also the his agents are pushing books off of their shelves. Yes. Yeah. He's just destroying all of his property. All, yeah. it, they're destroying all of his property, but they're destroying these things that could be secular. These things yes. that are, are you know, because they're kind of like Grecian statues almost. You know, these are, and, and, you know, it's just like shattering anything that does not adhere to the image of the church that they want. And also, of course, um, again, thinking about how people would watch this in 1971, you know, uh, back then the Nazis were the most famous for burning books, right? And Mm -hmm. destroy, and those, those were the agents of this repressive, uh, oh God, I don't want to sound like a, a fucking, like, cultural Free studies fucking... professor no 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 i don't want to sound like a cultural studies professor and i also don't want to sound like a goddamn like free speech warrior so never mind oh, okay. <laughs> i'll just just end it what i'm talking about like they just want to destroy the things that don't fit with their the vision of the church that they present and they control entirely damn you cut out there for a little bit do you mind repeating that after you said uh that you're not a free speech warrior which <laughs> oh, no. yeah, i mean we are so, <laughs> yeah, this is a pro free speech you podcast. love thomas chanerton williams sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking idiot the burning at the at the stake it's just just incredible you you have 
this like goofy dance number going on in the background, all these people cheering it on, chanting for the kiss of death. And it's so funny because they're chanting kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> kiss, 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 kiss. You know, back in the day, executions were like a group activity where people would come and watch people die. And it's like seeing this man burned to death is just not enough for this crowd. They're so fucking <laughs> rowdy. They need like the pantomime, like booping each other on the heads, like Punch and Judy fucked up thing. Like they need that on top of this. And it's, <laughs> I, you know, back in the day, you could, you know, get up with your friends, you know, see something entertaining, see some live entertainment and it means something. <laughs> now people just stay at home and watch videos of people dying all alone. Wow. <laughs> They've got the Nobody's, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, we're all young males here, you know, you ever had a phenomenon of your friends who just like they, they watch you know videos where they just watch people die yeah i yeah i think we've talked about <laughs> this already, yes we've all seen isis beheading videos as teenagers and they frightened all of us look this mean. isn't this isn't a gen z thing all right you know yeah, yeah. Realizing of, you know faces of death face, exactly the mondo movies yeah snuff films there's a rich tapestry of uh going through a phase where you're just watching fucked up deaths that's very true. It's very true. Uh, JT, do you have any final thoughts on this film? Um, yeah. Well, first, I'm going to shoot it down four and a half bullets. Awesome. Talking through this really has made me like love it even more. But I think that like I don't know. We've talked about Russell's style being insanely bombastic and over the top and firing at all cylinders. And I like that there's these tensions here with like. There'll be like a really funny scene where you're like kind of like in like enjoying spectating all this like craziness happening and you're having a laugh. A woman's jacking off a candle. That's great. That's fun to see. But then you see like like absolute horror and, and it's like, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's no. like now I'm jacking off a candle. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm crying and covering and putting the blankie above my head. Um but no, there's like these tensions there where it's like that like horror and beauty and Violet, you mentioned like Russell being a Catholic at the beginning of this. And it's just like that really blew my mind thinking about this throughout all of it, because it's like Russell is clearly a very, very smart dude, much smarter than I. He knows the horrible history of the Catholic Church, <laughs> but is still like a Catholic. And I think that one thing that we didn't really talk about is the scene where like Father Grandier, like in the beginning, he's like he he's fucking around. Like he gets that other woman pregnant that he doesn't marry. He has this, no like his student that he's supposed to be teaching Latin and instead just fucking her brains out. So <laughs> he's pulling us a Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus. <laughs> oh, don't like it. <laughs> Your father sends you here for instruction in Latin. And we must not deceive him. Look, she didn't have any friends at the school. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's do he's like he has sort of a come to Christ moment and I yeah. think that like after like when he's 
uh, he's by, he's grabbed by the balls and he's gonna fucking die. He realizes like what a fucking fool he was, mm-hmm. and like his faith is legitimized in that moment. And like while there's obviously the tension of Russell knowing the horrible history of the institutional aspects of the Catholic faith, like being someone who is Catholic and religious, I, those moments are really beautiful when you see him like recognizing his uh, grandier recognizing real faith yeah. and how he's fucked up and sort of led himself to being in that moment and uh, I don't know that's some of the most powerful stuff for me is when he is just being tortured and is like taking it mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's real faith boys yeah that's that's you know that was really well said I was gonna say something kind of just you know, stupid. I guess where, uh, where he, just he was slip gonna, something you know, in there. Saying, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, like he was like Russell just converted to Catholicism, much like Brian Cranston's character in Seinfeld for the jokes, con- for the jokes converts <laughs> to Judaism. It's like I'm, you know, I'm just in it so I could properly critique it. <laughs> yeah, that's no. why Malcolm pretends to be Jewish sometimes. <laughs> he, hey man, yep, he's like, he's suspicious of the thing he likes, which is something exactly. we should all do. I mean, hey, we we do a podcast where we talk about Woody Allen every fucking week. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, not every. I talk about Woody yeah, Allen every say, week and edit it. More, out, you know? That's more you. I don't support him in any sense. Okay, <laughs> let's let's roll back the tape on that one, uh, Mister Fucking Cafe Society Opening Day. Uh, uh, you know, he was just neighbors with Jeffrey Epstein. I'm sure there's no nothing <laughs> yeah. weird going on there. <laughs> hey, that's you know you don't you don't choose who you get to live next to. Yeah, that's you don't choose your neighbors. Don't you don't choose your neighbors. neighbors. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your neighbors. Sure. And, and, and if you live within that community, no matter who that person is, you might as well try to make it work. Yeah. Just for the it's called linking and building with your community <laughs> and your homies. I've just been so anyway. I'm just such an isolated millennial ruining everything that has made culture great up until this point that I couldn't conceive that. <laughs> Okay, maybe Epstein and Alan were butts, and that's fine. <laughs> and maybe, they, maybe they just talked about uh, movies. I don't know. Or math. That's Who's true. to say? Well, Epstein was a filmmaker himself, right? So Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we, yeah, we got off track there. Jeez. Uh, we might have the devils. Yeah, Violet, uh, you brought this to the pod, so I'm, I, I could probably predict your rating, but any, any summative thoughts on this one? Uh, I'm going to give this five out of five bang, 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 bang bullets. It's, it's, uh, it's just so my shit. And I mean, um, again, I recognize that Ken Russell is not necessarily everyone else's. It's not a universal universally liked it takes a certain taste to really appreciate him and i'm not saying that taste is better or worse than any other it's just like you have the cilantro gene you have the ken russell green gene Mm. like you can you can taste what he's doing and i think the one thing i would say you know thinking about his faith in particular in catholicism there's the crucifix with jesus on it and in protestantism it's just the cross and I think mm-hmm. there are ways in which um, filmmakers who are Catholic or coming from a Catholic background, uh, I would say from like Fellini to Pasolini to Martin Scorsese, there's just a different uh, way of conceptualizing spectacle and, and, and conveying things um, that are really gore in a really gory way. Um, you know, just the way that like, a saint's bones will be carried around like some uh, Italian town for its like 
Saints Festival and stuff like that. Just that sort of, um, it's grotesque, but it's also uh, it's in service of something larger, as opposed to uh, Lutheranism, which is uh, my family was sort of recovering from, and they they just passed on the bad, all the bad parts of it to me, and none of the faith. Uh, where they, you know, it's it's like uh, that opening scene in um, Hardcore, where um, George C. Scott is just like, I, I don't like that. I don't like this display and she's like is it too blue and he's like yeah that's it like the color blue was too nice for him you know <laughs> like he's such a repressed calvinist that he's just like oh that bright blue is sinful in some way i can't explain because i'm just so anti-representational you know so it's um i think i think um when thinking about russell it is interesting to think about him within that tradition of Catholic artists um, that I just mm. made up right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, and personally, I, uh, you know, I, I, as a Jewish artist myself, a big fan of this Jesus fellow. I've been learning about him through a lot of Catholic Pretty movies. Cool, I was right? looking at Eddie intensely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, was ready for I was that. like, <laughs> what are you going to no say heretic, about Jesus? No heretic shit. Yeah, yeah no, I think I'm going to be the first Jew for Jesus filmmaker. Like, I... I <laughs> Between stuff like this, I've been listening to the Hank Williams gospel stuff. Like oh. Jesus remembered me too. You know, <laughs> well, I'm gonna start hosting a Christian Satyrs as an oh, Christian Satyr. Yeah. That was a good yeah. Yeah. pull as a, there as an olive branch. Good I had pull. to pull that. Yeah. I hope all of our Jews out there had a good Seder last week, whether you were with your family or over Zoom. I hope you were over Zoom. I was with my family, and it fucking sucked. And I want all the Christians out there who had a nice Christian Seder. I hope they had a good time, too. <laughs> and get pumped for Easter. Yeah. yeah. Get it? Anyway, uh, this film made me believe in the Jesus. Uh, 4.5 bullets for me. <laughs> but I, I think that, like, yeah, I, as a religious film, as well as a critique of institutional religions, it just kind of has that, you know, uh, dissonance the whole time. And whether uh, Russell is exploring that visually or through characters that are just going absolutely apeshit, uh, I, I think it's always just like both of those poles are going so far from each other as hard as they can. This is such an extreme film for mm -hmm. all of its almost two-hour runtime, which, you know, it seems like it would be long for something like this, but I, I could have even gone longer. I think that, like... Yeah it never really has that dreary feeling. It's always extreme, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yeah, so this is an incredible film. Th thanks for bringing it to the pod, Violet. Yeah, wait, I gotta get my rating off. Uh, I thought you did, damn. I did, no, I didn't. Four are you trying bullets. to bum rush him? Come on, man, don't yeah, discriminate. This, What's this discrimination? Oh. Exactly, <laughs> it's the usual type of shit that goes on here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the usual type of shit. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, email extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can always reach out to us for everyone's favorite segment, which is not happening this week because we don't have any emails. Great. God damn it. Should have checked that <laughs> earlier. <laughs> fuck you guys for not writing in. What the fuck? Get it together. Stop being so goddamn selfish. Write an email. That's what I'm saying. Stop yeah. being so shy. What are you yeah. scared? Yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you could email us there uh, at extendedclip69 is where we're on Twitter. If you want to send me an angry DM, 
been getting some of those lately. <laughs> you can just do it to the podcast account. Balance it in. out. Balance it out from my account. <laughs> send it to the podcast account. Let's keep them rolling in. Yeah. So you get three to, people. You, three people that. are seeing how mad you are. That's great. <laughs> That's such a fucking deal. You send one DM, impacts three people. Love it. Exactly. Exactly. And I hope you guys are checking the Twitter every fucking hour <laughs> now that I put the call out. Metrics. Uh, anyway, uh, Violet. First of all, th- thanks for coming on the show. No, but, thank uh, you. But what, 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 what do you want to tell the people to check out from you? Uh, I'm the host of the Harper's podcast. Um, I think even though they're usually not about film, there are kind of like curiosities or interesting in some way. So uh, please look at those. Um you can find me at, at Unbutton My Eyes on Twitter. Uh, and I don't know. I, I have some other sort of irons in the fire. I have a uh, forthcoming podcast project that I think everyone who listens to the show would probably be interested in. Uh, have to, you know, we're still working out some technical stuff, but yeah, just stay you know, tuned. I heard some stuff through the grapevine about it. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, uh, <laughs> but also, I don't want to uh, don't want to lay my cards on the table. Say that I know what it is because I don't actually. Uh, but I know who is involved. Yes, and it sounds like a cool show. Yeah, yeah. So just uh, follow me. Stay tuned. Um, maybe subscribe to my Substack. I I will say that I was the person who told Nick Pinkerton about Substack. So, and I actually started mine way before his, but I have been too afraid to post because I'm worried that my writing will, like unedited writing will reveal what a bad writer I actually am and no one will take me seriously anymore. (laughs) And let me tell you, that's a terrible way to live. And if you figure out how to to not live like that, just send me a DM, please. (laughs) Uh, all right i think that's a good call to action slide violet's dms everyone (laughs) um (laughs) next week will be the hundredth episode and the first we might be hitting the nudio next week we might be at my grandma's place i don't know but this is the last time we're in the jean-luc godard chris kyle studios everyone this is a kind of historic record yeah, I know. It's <clears throat> it's been a couple of great years here. I'm shedding a single respectful male tear that rolls down my cheek. <laughs> At this point, you've sat on that bed almost as much as my sister did. Damn. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Chris Kyle. You know, R.I.P. Chris Kyle. We couldn't the... help him, and that's kind of the whole thing about this podcast. <laughs> yes. We wish we could have helped him. We're three of Chris Kyle's friends who didn't do enough. And now each uh, donation to the Patreon goes to his uh, charity fund. It actually goes to hiring more security at the shooting range. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Yeah, so next week is episode 100. We're going to be talking about all three icons of our logo. Uh, well, we're not actually going to talk about Chris Kyle, but Clint Eastwood is the <laughs> the stand in there. We're going to have a, an Eastwood, a Godard, and a Sandman, a triple feature. Goddamn. All we know is that we're going to talk about Honky Tonk Man by Clint Eastwood. The rest, TBD. But we'll let you know so you can get a head start if you want to watch along. And uh, yeah, uh, Malcolm, you were raising your hand like a child no. in school. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fuck, Eddie? Uh, no, just end, just end the podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, check out the Patreon. Come on, guys. Uh, if you're still listening, come on. Two bucks a month. Uh, bonus episode every week. It's always better than the real episode. So with that, uh, yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Yes. Father O'Rourke answered her. Yes, you ignorant, badly brought up female. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You've played fast and loose with his reputation, and you should be heartily ashamed. And that, said Father O'Rourke, is gossip. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs>